Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning, we're pursuing our second message in our series entitled The Power of Praise. And I'm not going to recount you know, how that came about. God's calling forth praise from His people. Last week, we looked at the incredible benefits yielded to God's people uh, when they offer, when we offer them a sacrifice. Praise is very often a sacrifice. We don't feel like doing it. Uh, this morning, however, I want to turn and I want to look at not only praise as a sacrifice, but praise as warfare, all right? And um, uh, th- boy, if we don't know we're in a war spiritually after this year, we don't know much. Are you there? And so um, I want us to, to, to go back to the original scripture that gave rise to this whole series on the power of praise. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I've told the story, which is quite amazing, as to how we got here in this series a number of times. You can check out the beginning of the last couple uh, messages to discover that, okay? Um, so uh, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to see that praising God biblically is a means of doing spiritual warfare. And the title of this message is called Unconventional Warfare. So let me explain, okay? There's an interesting like dichotomy uh, regarding the way war is waged in the Old Testament. A lot of wars in the Old Testament. And they're physical wars, they're geopolitical wars, those kinds of things. One of the ways war is waged foreshadows and prepares us, however, for the way war is waged in the New Testament. Paul says, our war, our war is not against flesh and blood. I mean, mean, people have been warring this last year and a half against flesh and blood all over the place, but Paul says, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, and everything in high places. And it's real. It's a real thing. And so, Right now, we believe that the Lord is saying that there's a season and a time where we can see God confuse and overcome the enemies that we're facing right now in a new and a profound way as we praise him and as we begin to gather, gather intentionally. One of the ways war is waged then in in the Old Testament foreshadows this kind of warfare. So some battles are waged in the Old Testament by armies of people you know, with javelins and spears and shields and all that kind of stuff, okay? Some wars in the Old Testament are waged by armies of people, but watch this. Some battles are waged by God himself. There. When, when the children of Israel are positioned across the Red Sea, trapped by Pharaoh's army, Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Uh, stand firm. See the deliverance of the Lord. In the Hebrew, the word there is victory. Don't be afraid, stand firm, see the victory of God that the Lord himself will accomplish for you today, right? Exodus 20, 17, that is. Uh, Not to say that God wasn't directly involved, but watch this, virtually all of the battles, when the children of Israel took the land, you read the book of Joshua, all of the battles in the book of Joshua are conventional warfare, you know, Uh, arrows, swords, shields, all that kind of nasty stuff. It's all conventional warfare, except 
for Jericho, right? See, uh, before the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, God said to Joshua in Joshua 5, 2, look, I want you to see, I have delivered Jericho. I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and along with its fighting men. And they took and they worshipped and worshipped and worshipped and praised around Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down as Elvis Presley sang. All right. (laughs) <laughs> David declares to, to Goliath that all, he, this is what David says to Goliath. He says, look, that all this assembly may know that the Lord God saves not with the sword and with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's pretty, pretty great spiritual bravado. Do you know we're entitled to say that? Huh? We're entitled to say that to the spiritual enemies that we face on a rather constant basis. All right. Now, there are other examples. We could go through lots of other examples. The point is here that there are times when God is more interested in giving us a theology of warfare than he is in giving us some kind of military history, right? And that's what we want to look at. We want to look at a theology of warfare this morning. I believe that we're in a season when God is looking to give us victory over spiritual enemies. I have to say, I only believe, Trisha and I have been walking this through for a couple weeks now, and we're just seeing big things happen in, in, in terms of old stuff that we've been kind of shadow boxing with for years. Are you there? And so I want to encourage you. So I want to look at some principles of warfare and the part that praise plays, and we're going to do it by turning together when God wages war in 2 Chronicles 20, and we're going to begin in verse, uh, verse 3. I'll give you a context. The context is this. Some of the enemies of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, uh, uh, that King Jehoshaphat uh, uh, was ruling over, uh, some of those enemies Jehoshaphat had made peace with. Now, these are enemies... That, that these are enemies, these are different people groups that when the children of Israel centuries before were coming into the land, God said, now let them alone. Don't expend your energy on those guys. I want you to focus on getting to Jordan and getting to Gilgal. You're not going to fight those guys. So for centuries, these people have been around, these peoples have been around the margins of Judah, and sometimes they made peace with them, sometimes uh, they clashed with them, and they were, they were kind of picking at, at, at Judah and Israel constantly over the course of the centuries, but it never seemed to be the time to deal with them. Are you there? And, and so the people of Judah, uh, suddenly these different enemies gather around and form an alliance. Alliance. They, they're enemies of one another as well, and suddenly they decide to form an alliance against the kingdom of Judah and against Jehoshaphat, who had worked assiduously hard to try and make peace with these people. Sometimes you can't make peace with an enemy, or if you do make peace with an enemy, sooner or later you got to deal with it. Are you there? All right. So verse 13, we're going to start in verse 13. Meanwhile, by the way, they've allied themselves, they're ready to attack and destroy Judah and Jehoshaphat. Meanwhile, in verse 13, it says, all Judah stood before the Lord. I like this. This is very unusual, with their little ones at the temple. That's unusual. I don't see that anywhere else in the the scriptures. With their little ones, their wives, and their children. And this is an intergenerational assembly. It's It's because there's an existential threat 
to everybody. Their existence is in jeopardy. And from the youngest to the oldest, they're there at the temple. Okay, verse 14, and the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the prophets here, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, huh? yeah, son of Beniah. I don't, I don't ever remember dedicating a kid named Beniah, and I don't ever remember reading uh, a scripture that had Beniah in it. Anyway, although Re- uh, Brett just referenced it. All right, son of Beniah, son of Jael, uh, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, from the Psalms, in the midst of the assembly, verse 14, uh, 15. And so this is what the prophet said. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and listen, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours. Sometimes the battle is ours. Are you there? At this point, the battle is not yours, the prophet says. The battle is not yours, but the battle is God's. I believe we're in a season where God is speaking to us as a congregation. It's a peculiar season. If we'll let him, if we'll gather, if we'll praise him, God's saying, the battle is mine. Watch me work. All right. So verse 16, tomorrow go out against them and behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel, verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Whoa. O Judah, O Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Okay. But there are conditions. There are conditions. Verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head. Note note the postures here. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19. And the Levites Uh, of the Kohathites, and the Kohathites stood up, they're all priestly tribes, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice, loud. All right, verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now, Tekoa in Hebrew means the place where the wind blows. That's interesting, isn't it? They went out to the place where the wind blows. And when they came, and the wind, of course, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets. You will succeed, verse 21. And and, and by the way, this is an extraordinary statement for an ancient Middle Eastern kings, because kings... Uh, didn't uh, counsel with the people. It says this in verse 21. When Jehoshaphat had taken counsel with the people. Yeah, that's like a, uh, an ancient democratic king. Right? He builds consensus. That's not done. You know? Okay? I can't think of a parallel incident in the whole Old Testament of a king taking counsel with the people before he moves. When he did that, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him Watch this, in holy 
attire. We'll talk about what that means. It's really important. In holy attire, as they went before the army and said, and they, and they said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. The word steadfast love is the word chesed in Hebrew. It means covenant love. It's the ones whom I have covenant with, covenanted with, and my motivation for that covenant is that I love them. I love them. By the way, Trish and I have been walking around the house for the last three weeks get, singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. It feels stupid when you start doing it. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit falls, you know. It's, you know, especially when you wake up in the morning and you're going to sing this, you know, to, to begin your devotions in the morning and your, your throat's all full of ganur. You know what ganur is? That, that's the stuff that gets stuck in your belly button when you sleep, you know. <laughs> you got to clear it all out. <sighs> you know, that kind of stuff. Give thanks to the Lord. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> I sound like Louis Armstrong before seven o'clock in the morning. All right. <laughs> okay, so the counsel of the, of the Lord is that those who were in congregation of Judah were appointed as praise warriors. It was not just the Levites. The Levites were doing their stuff in the temple, but when they get there, Jehoshaphat says, I'm going to take counsel with all the people, and I want to know who the singers are. I want to know who the praisers are, not just the, not just the, the Levites. I want to know who are the individuals who are going to praise the living God in the windy place and see the Lord bring us victory? That's cool. All right, verse 22. And, and uh, by the way, the holy, holy attire here means linen. All right? Linen. In other words, uh, you have to go to Leviticus uh, 16. I won't develop it. don't have the time this morning. But when the priests led worship and sacrifice, they were to... to to dress in linen. All right. Now, remember, we're talking about professional soldiers here. Don't take your spear. Don't take your shield. Don't take your armor. Take it all off. Get your sandals off and put on this linen tunic and dance out there and praise the Lord. And when the enemy comes, they'll be taken care of. That takes a little bit of faith. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So, <laughs> verse 22. And then when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. These are the enemies that Jehoshaphat had made peace with who had come out against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. So God caused them to all turn on each other and knock out each other. You know, there's other instances in military history of that, but it's interesting. They didn't have to fight because they were fighting with one another. And by the way, this is the end of the problem of those people groups for, Israel, for Judah. All right. Now, okay, got to move along here. Are there any key lessons that we can gather from this episode uh, uh, that can, can be applied that God is saying to us here and now? Well, so here's a, here's a, a challenging New Testament application. What toxic enemies have I made peace, peace with that I can no longer be at peace with in my life? Can I ask that again? What toxic enemies have I made peace with that I can no longer be at peace with in my life? 
When Israel was coming into the land, God said, don't deal with these guys now because you don't have the energy for it. You've got to take, you've got to get into the land, cross the Jordan. But they're still there. And they're still picking at Israel. And they're still picking at Judah from the margins of their lives. And so the New Testament application, where we're not in a physical war, is this. What destructive tendencies are in my life that I just decided to live with and I've ceased to oppose and I've kind of made peace with them? Or is that only me? Huh? Uh, uh, You know, rather than deal with them, I can live with them. I've, you know, what habits and attitudes and practices that are essentially offensive to God that God has allowed me to live with for an amount of time, but now, now is the time to deal with them. Are you there? All right. God, I mean, God says, Joshua, I'm not going to bring, every, you're not going to defeat every enemy, you know, unless you lose heart when you come into the land. How many of you know when you walk in to the kingdom of God, not everything is usually taken care of, right? I, or at least it wasn't for me. Anyway, you can ask my wife. All right. And these things can be almost anything, depending upon our personalities, depending upon where we're at. These things can be really subtle things. Uh, what I watch on television, uh, how much uh, I eat, oh boy, how much I drink, uh, the way I use social media and the way I use the internet, my cell phone. Uh, what do I watch that fires up my sexual imagination? What, what about innocent flirtation with someone? What, about, what can I engage with that, that fires up my anger and my rage? What do I look at that I walk away with my teeth clenched? And uh, boy, you know, with the whole social, socio-political situation in the U.S. right now, I mean, it's easy, right? You know, what do I walk away with with my, my teeth clenched? What is my attitude? Well, what's my attitude toward God and money? And what are the scriptures, what does the Bible really have to say about wealth and sacrifice and giving? Who, who am I submitted to? What's my responsibility to my children? What's my responsibility to uh, the children in the church? What's my responsibility to the church? Who am I submitted to? What's my attitude toward authority? And I, you know, you get it, right? And I can go on and on and on. And, on. and I don't know about you, but I've had these things in my life, some things that, that have kind of stayed at the margins. I kept them marginally. I could flirt with them, but make peace with them and live with them and say, oh, well, God understands. And, you know, or it's just me. I, I got to be me. I got to be me. You know, that kind of stuff. And God says, no, you don't got to be me. You got to be Christ. Are you there? And so, so this is a season where God's saying, it's get out of jail free time, baby. You know, you know, you know, don't pass, go, don't collect $200, you know, get out of jail free. (laughs) All right. Uh, Now here's, here's an example. I wrote this down. Here's an example of a, of a, an old enemy that was in my life that I had, that I had, that came a time when it had to be dealt with. This has to do when we were back at Linden street and I was pastoring the church but there's something intrinsic to my personality uh, uh, that my wife has pointed out uh, <laughs> uh, where I just, she calls me the great we'll see. Because uh, there's something in me that wants to keep all my options on the table all the time. Uh, are you there? And, and I remember, uh, and so I, I'm pastoring the church. We're over at Linden Street 
and, and, uh, and the church is doing well and so forth. But there was something working in me as a young pastor where I was always, you know, it wasn't so much that I wanted to know what, what God had for me. No matter where I was, I wanted to know what else God had for me. <laughs> or am I on the, it's like, Trisha says, you don't want to know what's on TV. You want to see what else is on TV. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, 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 and I, I didn't want to know so much what God had for me. I want to know what else God had for me. Because there was this, John Manzano saw, I'll put it this way. John Manzano, who was a mentor of mine, saw this in me. And he was watching me preach. He was up doing something else uh, with the church one day. He's a brilliant apostolic figure. And he pulls me aside after the service and this is what he said to me. He said, Grubby, he said, he said, hear me on this. As long as you are tentative about this church, this church is going to be tentative about itself. Can I say that again? As long as a leader that you are tentative about this church, this church is going to be tentative about itself. In other words, settle all the other options in your life. You need to be committed here. And, you know, and at first I was really resistant to it, but then as uh, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me, I said, okay, God, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, because I saw that tendency in my life. Before, Trisha and I were engaged twice. We were engaged to be married, and, and I broke up with her for about three months, two or three months, before we got married. You know, I was a runaway groom. Uh, <laughs> Now, we had been seeing one another for years, since high school. And, and, but before it came time where the rubber met the road, you know, uh, I wanted to know what else God had for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ultimately in his own way, even though I wasn't saved at the time, the Holy Spirit said, are you crazy? You know, my son got some of this out from me as well. He, he's, he's married to the most wonderful Young, young woman, just great mom and so forth. But when he was dating her, he called me one day and said, uh, Lauren, that's her name, has called me or talked to me and said, I want to know where this relationship's going because I'm not going to waste my time. <laughs> you notice how women need to know, you know? And, and he said, I don't know what to say. And I said, well, what are you thinking? He said, I don't know. He said, uh, you know, I'm in a corner here. And I said, I said, listen, a woman like that only comes along probably once in life. I said, you, you go, you know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and go tell her, you know, I'm on, you know. And, and he did that. And they have a great marriage, great kids and stuff like that. But, but there was this thing in him that just didn't want to commit because then all your options are off the table. God wants, sometimes wants all our options off the table. Have you, have you noted that in your life? All right. So, so that, that was something, that was an enemy that I'd made friends with. I thought it was a good thing. Huh? I thought I was being open to all the possibilities of life. You know? and, and I defined it as a good thing. And then God said, no, it's going to destroy you. Deal with it now. Okay. So God is saying that it's time to stop abiding old friends who are really old enemies. Huh? 
And, and you know, I, I don't need to, everybody here is a different soul, a different personality, a different identity. I don't have to tell you what it is. All you have to do is ask God. One of the, one of the prayers God answers every time is when you say, Lord, what's wrong? <laughs> I mean, he's faithful. All right. So, 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 but God is also saying we're in a season where this battle is mine. In other words, one of the reasons we don't want to deal with these things is we don't think we can deal with these things. God says, that doesn't matter. We're entering into a season of praise, gathering, and worship, and the battle is mine, says the Lord. That is cool. I'm up for that. So what do we do? Well, one of the interesting commands that God gives the people when he wages war on their behalf is he directs them to go out in the battlefield where the wind is blowing, that's being in the presence of the Spirit, and, and, uh, yow. and, and in other words, to go to a place which is conducive to engaging God's presence, right? Uh, for us, it could be a place of prayer. Uh, it, it could be devotions. But, it, but, but here, in this chapter, it's a gathering of all of God's people, intergenerationally, as a, a community. They poured into Jerusalem with their babies, with their kids, with their women, with their men, and they got before God. Okay. The next thing God tells them to do, which is completely counterintuitive, is, by the way, you soldiers, don't, don't grab your guns, don't get your flak jackets, leave all that stuff go. Here's a little, you know, here's a little linen nightgown. Put this on and go out there, all right? <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of thing, you know? And, uh, uh, and so, you know, it, there's an essential element in this. Oh, I'm, I have a point here. I, I, I said, can you imagine seasoned citizen soldiers being told to not put on their armor? But here's the point. Warring in holy attire means getting rid of the human sweat factor. Because that's why the priests wore linen so that they wouldn't sweat. So it wouldn't be a carnal exercise. Now, Delaney is going to unpack that whole aspect next week, and I don't want to steal her thunder. Uh, but but I, I will say this. There are all kinds of good things we pursue in order to uh, deal with our friendly enemies. Uh, sometimes those good things that we use as armor, they're good, but in this season, God's going to work. I'm talking about self-help books, counseling, uh, support groups, count prayer. Don't stop doing that stuff, but know that in this season, God's going to do something if we'll give ourselves over to praise. Isaiah 61.3, God says, I will give you, I will give you a garment of praise in exchange for your spirit of heaviness. Anybody been heavy this year? Huh? Anybody been heavy? I will give you a garment of praise uh, for a spirit of heaviness. This is a season where God is calling forth praise. I'm looking forward to Delena next week. But here's the principle. Watch this. When God wages war on our behalf, we give up engaging an enemy and give ourselves up to primarily engaging God. I'll say that again. When God wages war on our behalf, we give up engaging an enemy and, and we give ourselves up to primarily engaging God. God is saying, you're in a season of warfare, a warfare that I've ordained. 
You live with these enemies long enough. You made friends with them long enough. I get it. I gave you lots of grace for this. But one way or the other, you're going to surrender. <laughs> you can either surrender to them or you can surrender to me. Huh? And, and have you noticed that all of the physical, this is wonderful, all the physical postures of praise and worship that we find in the Bible and that we find in this episode are postures of humility. Huh? Postures of humility. They're, you know, whether they're, their heads are down, whether they're dancing, whatever they're doing, they're essentially embodying uh, this, 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 this notion that I, I just surrender it to you, God. I want to be humble before you. I want to take, take all my bravado. I want to take my swords and shields and javelins and all that stuff and lay them down, and I just want to submit and be before you. And during the season when our enemy is sought to impede our gathering together, over the last year and a half, one of the fatalities has been gestures of praise. Even raising your hands is, is a gesture of humility. You're saying, I surrender, I give up, I praise you. It's that kind of thing. That's why when we used to do prison ministry, it was easy because they were used to raising their hands, you know? It was like, <laughs> <laughs> Now, here's the, here's the deal. I've noticed that men are more reticent to physically take humble positions than women are. Okay, it's a generalization, but, you know, and I'm guilty of this myself. Uh, I find it interesting, watch this, that Paul in, in 1 Timothy 2 instructs women to be submissive and to, to dress modestly, and all the men for centuries have been quoting that to women. You need to be submissive and dress modestly. But in the same, in the same passage, he says, and I, I want all men, I'm instructing all men, male believers, in every place, in every church, and to, to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dissension. We don't quote that, guys. <laughs> and we don't raise our hands as easily. Are you there? And we don't prostrate, our, prost, prostrate ourselves before the Lord as easily. I almost said prostate, because I'm 73. <laughs> but anyway, we, we don't uh, prostrate ourselves before the Lord as easily. Moi, you know, I'm right with you, you know. Uh, you know, what gives here? You know, I always ask myself, why do women tend to do this so easily? Why do they? Because there's something within their very intrinsic being that says, I, I, I can be submissive to God. Are you there? But there's something in men's intrinsic being for the most part. This is why David was so wonderful and different. But for the most part, most men say, well, I, I'm submissive inside. I don't need to show anybody that. You know, are, are you there? And, and so I believe God wants to do something here. The key postures of praise in the scriptures are postures of humility. But to the proud, we're often men, they appear to be postures of humiliation. Huh? What does that look like? Well, listen, okay, I'll give you an example from my life this last two weeks. So last week I'm preaching out at a, uh, I'm speaking at a, uh, a conference in Oklahoma City and uh, Dwayne White was doing the last session. Brilliant message, just a brilliant message. And 
one of the things he was talking about, because the, the pastor of that church and an old friend of our church, Bishop Tony Miller, passed away. And the, the, the baton had to be passed very abruptly, very, very, uh, you know, almost traumatically to a whole generation of new leaders. And so he did a teaching on passing the baton, you know, in a, in a relay race. And he asked the older people in the, uh, in the congregation, and the, the, the tradition, this is a very Pentecostal cultured church. It's not, we're, we're charismatic and Pentecostal, but this is like old, old style Pentecostalism, you know, where like if I'm preaching, some of yours would be standing up and waving handkerchiefs or going like this and you know, you could say anything and they say, amen. You say, God is green. Amen. You know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and it's, 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 a, it's a liturgy. It's a tradition. But it's not my tribe so much. You know, we have a different kind of culture. And so, so, like, so Dwayne, you know, asks all the older um, ministers in the assembly to come up. And he had all these batons up front to, to get, gather a baton, right, and to run, run the aisles in the sanctuary. That's, that's another Pentecostal tradition. Arnaldo, you probably knew that one. That's where you get so excited by the Holy Spirit, you jump the seats and run around the sanctuary in excitement. You know, I don't even do that at home. Anyway, so, so I'm watching these guys do it, and, and like, I thought, I'm not going to do that. You know, <laughs> that... I will look so stupid if I do that. I'm not going to do that. And, and, uh, and they're all running. I'm sitting in, in, in the front seat in the back section because music's too loud up front. And, and, uh, and they're all running right by me looking at me and I'm standing there with my, my hands <laughs> folded like this. No, I'm not going to do that. And so I didn't do it. And none of them challenged me on it, you know. Uh, I, 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 if they did, I would have said, I enjoyed seeing you do that, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. So I get home. It was a great conference. I get home Friday night. Saturday morning, I come in to do my devotions. And guess what? I'm doing my devotions and God doesn't show up. And I'm thinking, okay, remember I said, if you always, if you ask him something, there's one prayer he always answers. What's wrong? I, I said, what's wrong? He said, you didn't pick up the baton and run. And I, I, this is the, you know, God, God and I are having a conversation. Heck, I'm, you know, we just do that kind of stuff. And, and, and I said, I just said, I can't do that. It's not me. I will look so stupid. And I felt like the Lord, as we were devoting and so forth, the Lord said, you have made yourself look so stupid so many times in your life. What makes it you think, you know, I can't make you look stupid you know? <laughs> and so, so, the Lord, I'm not going to do it this morning, but there will come a morning where you will see me with a baton in here and just spontaneously running the aisle. Because uh, I got to do it. I told him I'd do it, you know? I told him I'd do it, I'll do it. And I was thinking about this. Now, we're in a position as a church, and I, I got to wind down here. We're in a position as a church where we're moving younger guys and gals in, and, and some of us older people are, are passing the baton, right? I mean, that's the kind of season we're in. 
Doesn't mean we're going away or anything like that, but we are passing a baton. You know, if you're in a relay race, the trickiest portion of the race is passing the baton. Because you've got to run, your relay team, you've got to run with somebody else. You've got to stay in your lane if you're a runner. You've got to put both hands on the baton and run together for a certain amount of time. And then almost intuitively, you let go and the other individual picks up and takes the baton on. But watch this. When you let go, you don't leave the team. Are, are you with me here? In other words, the issue isn't whether you win the race, the issue is whether the team wins the race. That's the church. Are you there? Yeah, that's the church. Now, this is really interesting because we just came through a season where America's individualism has risen up, its independence has risen up and everybody's got an opinion and everybody thinks this, everybody thinks that. I said before, shoes, fuses are this short and, and it, you can't teach anybody anything and at least in the uh, socio-political, scientific, blah, 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 you know, nobody wants to listen. Everybody knows the truth and so I, didn't even, I don't even bother. But, but the, point, the point is, is that there's r the rugged individuality is all there. Well, it's interesting. Do you know that the relay teams in American races in the Olympics have not done very well. <laughs> because what we do is we assemble the fastest men and the fastest women. And, and you know, and, and, and on paper, they, they, you know, they just dominate the statistics. But when they run the races, they lose the races. And you know where they lose the race in the relays? In the passing of the baton. I've got the statistics here, you know. The, the most recent one was the 2008 games. It was terrible. The U.S. had assembled four out of five of the fastest men in the world, in the whole world, to defeat everybody else on the planet. But, but here's the, 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 for them to be defeated was impossible unless they messed up the baton. And guess what they did? I, I don't have the time. I can show you pictures because there's these... There's batons bouncing down the track, and, and the runner's horrified because somebody dropped the baton. Whose fault is it? I don't know. But you see, you can't be an individual and run a relay race. You got to be a team, yeah? And, 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 and even the women in 2008 not, did the same thing, and guess how they lost? They dropped the baton, you know? So, so here's the point. Fear of humiliation can be the greatest obstacle to humility. So what I want to say at this season, I mean, I, I, I just want us to pray about humbling ourselves before the Lord. I'm not asking everybody to run the aisles or do, just do what God tells you to do, but can we praise? What would it take for, I, I have this little thing where I want to see all the men, both Makunji in, in Bethlehem, all the men get together, raise their hands, and sing unto the Lord. Not to, not to, to eliminate the women. You see, it's that the men are indisposed to it. And I've said this. i got to figure out how to do it, whether it's here or in the parking lot at McCunji. But we're going to do something like that before this gathering praise thing is over. We're just going to get together. And even if it's for five minutes, I could break something huge in the spirit. Yeah?
You know, everybody, you know, asks, what happened in this last election? I prayed for this last election. Uh, what, about, what about God? You know, you said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will, you know, answer their prayer and, you know, I will heal their land and stuff like that. And I, I, when I was praying about this whole deal, I said, oh, Lord, I prayed about this election pretty hard. What's the deal here? He said, well, everybody's praying. There's all kinds of prayer, he said to me. But humility? Uh, not so much. Huh? What, you know, so we have national days of prayer. How about a national day of humility? What would that look like? How, what would that look like? Yeah. Uh, we lived on Linden, we, we, the church was on Linden Street, and there was this big empty lot next to us, and people would come by and just dump their trash in that lot all the time. And at the time, we had two staff members, a part-time secretary and me. Like, I shoveled the snow, I preached the messages, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and the richest guy in the church, who, again, was a multimillionaire, he's gone for decades now, he's moved out of state and so forth, but a great guy, great Christian. I, I would come back sometimes after service to the church and be in my office, and there's this little window, and I know he didn't see me doing it. Every Sunday, he would come back with some tools and, and clean the whole property alone. He wouldn't want anybody to see him. See, that's, that's like intentional humility. Yeah. Didn't want, he knew God was seeing him, you know. And he knew he was blessing the church, you know. It was that kind of thing. We're going to close with this. We'll, we'll sing something, but we'll close with this. I've been asking a young lady to come up here and testify because God did a miracle on her behalf. And she kept keeps saying to me, I can't go up there. It's just so hard for me. I'm so self-conscious. I'm like, I'm only a kid and stuff like that. And I said, honey, you just got to do it, you know. And, uh, and so it's really hard for her to do this, but this is humility. If you're proud... This is easy, man. Get a load of me, you know. But if you struggle with public exposure, it's really tough. Uh, so around Thanksgiving, my mom and I came back to church. L louder and closer <laughs> to your mask. Around Thanksgiving, my mom and I started coming back to church in person. And on that first Sunday in many months, Pastor Grubby gave a testimony talking about how there was someone in the room with outstanding brain trauma and concussions. Well, I've been suffering for five years with concussions and brain trauma, where I get really close to being released and then something happens and I get set back. And about a week later, we had a doctor's checkup appointment and I got tested and I got my results and they came back above average and I got released. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know I'm a kid, but I feel like there's somebody in here who is in need of healing and feels like they're stuck in the mud pit and it's hopeless and God's not going to help them. But I went through a lot and it got better and it'll get better for you. So. Amen. Hallelujah. Whoa. So let's everybody stand. And we're going to do this 10 times, okay? And then we can dismiss. And I don't need this, okay? Trish, would you take that? Oh, you got it, Bob? Lord Jesus, we praise you, and we ask 
You said you are the God who healeth us. Father, you heal us. You love us. You know, every nanosecond of our, of our metabolism, you know every bit of us. And you're the one who, who's declared prophetically through this season that we're in a season where these battles can be waged and won. We're looking forward to, the, to healing testimonies coming consequent to these words like Katie just did. So we pray for these people because this weighs on their minds and it's, it's an enemy that they've, some of them have made friends with it and so I can live with it, it's just me. We declare today that they don't have to live with it, that there's healing in this congregation, not because we're great, but because you're great. And so we speak healing to our brothers and sisters. Ah, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we release healing to our brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And we together raise our hands as a gesture of humility. And we sing this. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endureth forever. Join me. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. To you. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.